Hi, this is Colin from Worse in the Industry. We have a lot of laughs on our show, and we get in some pretty heated topics, so it's important to remember that the views expressed by the hosts of Worse in the Industry are our own, and in no way are representations of the views held by the Planet Ant Podcast Network or Planet Ant as an organization, even when we're right. Yell at us, not them. Thanks, and enjoy the show. This has been a production of Planet Ant Podcast, powered by Pinecast. Can I talk my shit now? I was playing two-hand touch, fuck it up, it's a hit now. When I hit the road, do a show, hit a lick, then I skip town. Run up in the spot, no dance, and I make them all get down. Boy, you better sit down. Yeah. Ain't nothing fancy, I'm still broke. Cross town like Yancey, I will throw. They say I'm in a spot they would kill for. I could put them in the wheel and they still won't. I heard a really sad story the other day. Oh, boy. Um, and it was a way to start off the podcast. Well, I guess it's not sad. It's, it's not sad because it's still kind of funny. Um, so it was an interview with Lil Wayne. And um, this guy doesn't remember, like, any of his fucking shit that he's written in, in his entire life. Because this guy, like, f- like fed some lines to him that he wrote from his songs and was like, I wrote that? I wrote that? Really? Apparently, he needs to constantly, when, uh, when he was making music in his later career, and I guess he still kind of does some verses here and there, but he needs to constantly um, Google his lyrics to make sure he didn't say them before. Gotta make sure I didn't use this one before. <laughs> Yeah, but the one line that the guy did say is probably one of the coolest ones ever is, uh, safe sex is great sex, better wear a latex, because you don't want that late text that I think I'm late text. That is a good line. That is a great line. Yeah. It's like, fuck man, Lil Wayne. Can't remember shit. Especially because it's Lil Wayne saying it, so it doesn't sound like, it sounds like poetry regardless of what he says. Yeah. Yeah. That, that highly distinctive voice it's just like it's it is a, it is a very very like it's a good performer's voice oh yeah because it, it's one of those things where uh you can't mistake him for anybody else not I love, a single other person i love when you're listening to a song and like you don't really think about the fact that like you saw that like he was featured or maybe you didn't mm-hmm. but like then the line like the the part comes in and you're like oh wow it's Lil Wayne <laughs> oh fuck it's Lil Wayne like uh I remember the, the you, best you hear part. you hear the lighter and the ah. yeah like uh the fucking the sucker for pain from the Suicide Squad soundtrack I was literally oh. just thinking about that it's like, yeah. ah, devoted to distraction and it's like is that Lil Wayne <laughs> is that Lil is, Wayne is that is that Wheezy <laughs> is that, well, is, that gosh, is that Young Money himself. Or uh, Beware by Big Sean. That's a mm, that's a good one. That's a great Lil Wayne feature on there. Ha. <laughs> it is funny how they how rappers just like embody a noise, and every time you hear it, you're like, oh shit, that's Drake. <laughs> like oh, there he is. Oh, it's it's what like Grant Morrison talks about when he talks about sigil magic, where it, you're like, ideally, an artist is able to reduce themselves and their identity to a sigil uh because then like basically through only thinking about that person or or talking about that person you're invoking that person that's Mm -hmm. some people think that uh prince 
was some kind of practicing magician because he boiled everything down to the symbol. And I know there's like the legal thing where he's like, he's the artist formerly known as Prince, so he could continue releasing music that wasn't going to be uh, copywritten or uh, owned yeah. by his previous uh, distributor, I think. Yeah. But uh. also the idea of the symbol, I feel like, is very magical thinking. And then, yeah, like having Little Wayne just be like, oh, light, the lighter noise is just you're immediately like it doesn't matter if he's on the track but if if anybody ever samples that sound you immediately think of little wayne yep yeah i mean it's it is it, the power of branding is you know highly magical so to speak it is it is dark magic and grant yep. morrison does teach it to corporate and and prince the toddler sized man himself did it correctly you can't say that about him he, he was said, like he was small what that he doesn't was make so him not small, small when you he was alive you can't be like this little four and a half foot tall coffin fuck, having ass man, all right first oh of all God. fuck you we speak <laughs> ill of the dead all the time second of all we're not speaking ill the, about the, the prince we're pointing out that he was small the picture yeah. of him in front of the motorcycle with his little oh, boots. God. He, is, he does little, look very cute. His little he boots. Looks, <laughs> he looks like Gary Oldman in that uh, <laughs> that movie, um, Tiptoes. Did you guys hear about the story of him, of Prince, going to a strip club and telling every patron there to leave? And apparently he's he stood up on the stage with a microphone and read Bible verses for like four and a half hours and then just left. Well, did he did he tip? Did he pay the strippers? Oh yeah. Oh cool. Then I don't care. That's awesome. Good for him. Yeah. What? Just like, they didn't ah. have to work. They got to just chill out. Yeah. What the? Here, here, Prince go like, and then God failed. Like he was okay. So I have a question: Was it just straight Bible reading, or was Prince delivering a sermon? Was it? Was it? Like, no, no, I was he was. He to would, a Prince no, sermon. it was. It was it, no. There was no. Uh, there was no commentary. It was just. And, and God just, placed <laughs> placed the mark upon Cain and all his descendants, kind of like a raspberry beret. <laughs> kind of like a raspberry beret. That would have been great if he, if he gets if to he do musical interludes. That is perfect. <laughs> you know what? Okay, I would I would go to I would go to Prince Church. And then and then Noah built the big boat for that purple rain. He's gonna talk about he's gonna talk about the, the passion. He's when he's talking about the passion, he's like he's like, Hey Christ on the cross was maybe I'm just like my mother. She's never satisfied. Because I mean, when you cr- when you nail the Messiah to a piece of wood, that is what it sounds like when a dove cries. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie though. If there is a God, uh, God loved Prince because when he uh, played at the Super Bowl, the second he started playing "November Rain," it started fucking pouring. No, wait. You mean "Purple Rain"? "Purple Rain," "November Rain," <laughs> so whatever. "November Rain," very different song. That's the song where Cut you're like, out. oh, this song's over. Nope, nope, nope. It's November Rain. It's not done yet. No, November Rain. The only one will see you laughing in November Rain. Oh, man. November I'm so rain. glad that we that we were born when we were, because I have a hard feeling that at least one and a half of us would be deadheads. And that's just, <laughs> it's just impossible. All right, I mean, I kind I kind of was for like a, for like. <laughs> I kind of was for like two months. 
I got really into the Grateful Dead. I've and avoided then... the Grateful Dead because it, just like World of Warcraft, it feels like one of those things that I'm going to be too into. Oh, you're just going to start following them around on tour? I feel like I would just be like, guys, I know it's cliche, but have you listened to the Grateful Dead? They're still touring. They're, like... still going, they're going for it, man. Like, R.I.P. Jerry, but... Yeah. R.I.P. the main guy. R.I.P. the only one of the Grateful Dead that mattered. Becoming a deadhead is just as cringe as becoming a rockabilly. It's just in the opposite like I feel like the Grateful Dead, like if, if you're you're if you're crunchy enough, you become a deadhead, and if you're reactionary enough, you become a a, a fucking uh, rockabilly. Like, I guess, I'm all about having a girlfriend that looks like Betty Boop and cuffing my jeans. I just love how like Grateful Dead lyrics uh, sound so profound when you're on acid and then every other time you're like this this just doesn't mean anything like Con- this, connor it, and i it, were talking about uh bob dylan the other day it's like looking it... at the lyrics for uh <laughs> oh. for uh come together by the beatles Th- that's so that's that's what we were talking about with like bob dylan because bob dylan will be like he'll just say something that sounds like kind of gibberish right but then he'll he'll like have like a line at the end like a little tag at the end and you're like oh i get like this is the theme of the line like you're making a statement uh but like the the best song for that is uh subterranean homesick blues where he like he just the whole song is him just saying gibberish making a poignant like point at, right at the end of the gibberish and then just harmonica music for you to think about it just <laughs> Just time to pontificate. It's like that. <laughs> my, I don't make music. I make spaces for thinking. It's That's really way yeah, too it, much John Lennon. No, it's very much. It's so fucking disgusting. It's really, it's really funny because when, like, the second Man. you've had a single beer or like a single joint, you're like, this music's great. But if you just <laughs> turn it down to zero, you're like, shut the fuck up, Bobby. <laughs> I uh, fucking I, get it, dude. Here's Stop. the thing about Bob Dylan: is Bob Dylan influenced so many phenomenal artists and they just into making became some bad great at making music. music. He was kind of never good to begin with. Uh, that's fair. I mean, I, that's I don't think he was the best, but I think he had some real bangers. He had some banger tracks, yeah. and I feel like at this point he's just kind of like, I don't really know. I thought I was gonna die in 1972. <laughs> like, I mean, he wrote all along the Watchtower. I'll give him. He that did write all along the Watchtower, but which was Jimmy Hendrix, better by but Jimmy movie. Hendrix made it good because <laughs> listen to the original. Listen to it. I, okay, I dare but, like, you. We don't. We don't. We don't. Is bad. Down, like, well, okay, that's not an amp comparison because that's... yeah, it is bad. I was gonna say we don't knock down, you know, Nine Inch Nails version are hurt just because. I was about to say we do though, and that that was literally what I was about to say. It was like, yeah, yeah, and the Nine Inch Nails wrote hurt. That doesn't mean they're a good band. That doesn't erase the fact that they put out closer. Like, <laughs> I wanna fuck you like an animal. I wanna, I wanna feel, feel you, you from, from the, the inside. inside. You see, and because like, we're fucking. If you're 14 and you've never had sex, what an erotic song. Oh, dude, but, yeah, it made me real horny to play that on Rock Band. The second you have an adult's conception of of genitals and sexuality, you're all of a sudden like, this is disgusting. This is... <laughs> Trent Reznor's never had sex before. <laughs> he's just imagining he's just things. Doing it wrong. He's like, what is something that two humans would say, to get, say about each other? 
um, that is both, like, completely devoid of any actual references to sex, uh, but evokes the feeling of sex while also making you never want to have it again. Ah, I want to fuck you like an animal. I want to feel you from the inside. Inside. I went out to breakfast the other day over the weekend, and I just heard two old men just discussing East German intelligence. Oh, you heard... What? You you fell into, like, a time warp and saw our future? Yeah. Yeah, I did. Just sitting in a diner in Metro Detroit, just talking about shit we know nothing about. Oh, did they really sound super uninformed? No, I mean it was it was I wasn't really listening. I just heard them like making references to the different intelligence agencies and I'm just kind of like that's a weird conversation to have during breakfast, my guy. But then also like you're right. That's us. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of us, we should start the show. Uh, We're like 15 this is minutes us. in. Hey, hi, hello, and welcome once again to Worst in the Industry, the show where we three skeletons attempt to rattle a bit of our bony truth out into the world and into your ears. My name is Justin St. Peter, and my favorite bone is the fibula. To my left. It's Colin Stanley, and I'm, I'm more of like a L3, L4 kind of guy. To my left. Uh, my name is Tyler, and I like the femur. It's a solid bone. choice. Pussy. It's a solid bone. You're, so, you're such a fu- Come on, you you pick you pick such a big bone. You're compensating for something. Oh, I'm sorry. I picked the best bone. I picked I picked the lumbar vertebrae that are destroying me personally on an individual <laughs> yeah. level. Yeah, you picked those your, like, your personal those sound enemies like some in your pussy bones. I, if I could find those son of a bitch, if I could find those fucking bastards, I'd give them the what for. I would, <laughs> your your spines are just like I, you know where we live. I'd waterboard them until they gave up their superiors. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's just the next vertebra down yeah people you know people pretend like that you know they would have the same principles they they espouse under duress but i know the second i got those those bony sons of bitches in my grasp they're going straight to fucking guantanamo they're they're going straight to the camps me me like literally four inches shorter bleeding heavily out of a hole in my back just like tell me where the others are tell me where they are Making them stand on the milk crate. (laughs) Terrible, terrible, terrible. Uh, Speaking of things that are terrible, the depredations of governments. Uh, It's my episode, guys. It's a Colin episode. It's doing Colin things. So this is uh, is oil update number two. Um, I know, it's been a while, right? Uh, Burning Tree, the episode Burning Tree, was actually originally going to be oil update number two. Uh, But I got so deep in the weeds on greenwashing... Uh, that I was like, oh, I'll just save, I'll save this for later because there's a bunch of things that are unresolved mm. and things are still unresolved, but we have an update. Uh, we have more uh, things to talk about, more terrible things. And, uh, yeah, and it's, it's actually, it's interesting, um, because, you know, we talk a lot about the show, on the show, about how, like, the media, that the MSM, the mainstream media, uh, they lie. Uh, talking they about <laughs> how, like, they will purposefully twist things and how, like, they're really not beholden to the truth uh, or journalistic integrity or ethics. And really the only thing they're beholden to are, like, their editorial boards and the editorial boards are only beholden to whoever's paying them. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there is no higher degree uh, out there. For the most part, uh, obviously, the, the less, you know, chained to corporations uh, that you are... Um, 
the better uh, you know uh, y- your journalism or reporting could possibly be. Yeah. Um, that said, it's been really fucking shocking to me um, how quickly, like, so I'll, I'll, uh, oh. Yeah, the hair. That's like. That's not even a a beard hair. That's like a chest hair. How did it get all the way back there? How did it get all the way up there? I don't know. That's a long way for a chest hair. To it's travel. a heart. Like I mean, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a distance. Christ alive! Like okay. I'm just like in logistically, how did it? I don't know. It should get caught in the beard. That's what the it beard's should. for. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, back uh, on track. Yeah. So uh, I mean, I'll, I'll just kind of get into it, but the, some something that was very surprising to me. I mean, it shouldn't be, right? Because it's something we talk about and something I'm aware of. But it's, I guess it's always kind of a little bit shocking how on board the media gets with these narratives. Like, how fast they do. And also, how little actual research these people are doing. How basically nothing is ever challenged or fact-checked. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I know, again, we talk about it all the time. This is nothing new, nothing special. But it's just really, um, it can be really astounding uh, when it's like, so egregious when it's so flying in the face of all reality um it's it's really frustrating so let's just start so we're gonna start um uh talking about uh enbridge uh our friend yes the friend of the pod enbridge they came Uh, up last time the people who you know are consistently trying are desperate to destroy uh the viability of the great lakes as a, uh, a resource for people around the world um, and also are uh, hyper dedicated to the cause of just like steamrolling any indigenous group uh, that gets in their way um, but also uh, doing like I think I think the term that I'd use before when a company tries to like cover their shit with like a, a almost like a progressive sheen as pink washing Mm-hmm. Um, that's that, that's kind of what we're going to talk about too um, today. So let's let's just start. Um, lots of wash talk. Lots of wash talk. So uh, I I don't know how many uh, if you guys saw this. Uh, I didn't see a ton of it uh, posted anywhere on Twitter that that I'm normally around. Uh, and I, I actually only found out through doing research for this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but today, uh, uh, September twenty eighth, twenty twenty two, it was announced uh, that Enbridge is going to be selling. Uh, a um, 11.57% minority non-operating interest stake uh, in its Alberta pipeline uh, to a, uh, in, a group of uh, indigenous communities, 23 different indigenous communities in Alberta. Hmm. Um, and you're thinking, okay, Colin, well, a big criticism that we had of Enbridge during the oil series and the oil update was their treatment of the Wet'suwet'en people in uh british columbia yep um so this is good right this is them improving they're they're cutting in indigenous people on uh how they're ravaging their province yeah why Um, it sure sounds like it yeah um and uh i mean i can understand why you think that because that's kind of what we've been trained to Mm -hmm. think like that is the logical conclusion but it's wrong um so let's talk about how it's wrong so first of all this isn't the first time enbridge did this uh if you'll remember when we talked about our Enbridge originally and the way that they were uh, using the uh, RCMP as a, like, you know, basically a, a fascist paramilitary to, you know, break up 
and uh, brutalize these people and traumatize them to make them opposing Embridge uh, more difficult in the future. Uh, th when they did that, they did that under basically the guise of saying, well, we got approval to be on this land from these hereditary chiefs, right? So that those hereditary chiefs were part of the um, much criticized, especially within the indigenous community, uh, system of governance put in place by um, the Canadian government. And uh, I believe th their, uh, the ICS is their version of Indian affairs in Canada. Yeah. It's like, uh, uh, like uh, Indian uh, Canadian services yep. uh, or something like that. Um, so already there's a dispute that these are legitimate people or not that speak yeah. for their communities. I mean, um, rarely but, are these people actually cultural or, you know, community leaders. And to say there are, I don't want to paint with such a broad brush because there are definitely people, for instance, uh, we're going to talk about uh, a little bit about the, uh, the chief of the, uh, the Frog Lake uh, First Nations people mm -hmm. uh, who uh, was like, you know, in uh, donned uh, his, uh, his treaty uh, attire uh, that like his people have like historically used when they, when they deal with this kind of treaties as a symbol for like how momentous of a moment this is. And uh, he did talk very favorably about uh, this new deal. Um, but we'll, I'll, we'll talk about how I think that he is also, he is being optimistic in a way that is not realistic or huh. based in history or facts. Um, and I can understand why, but I think that what they're doing is the wrong decision. Um, but it's not up to me, right? So that's that's the uh, yeah. so anyway, um, what they'd done originally, like we said, is they'd gotten access to these lands uh, by appealing to these uh, people that essentially were uh, in power through a system imposed upon uh, these groups. Mm -hmm. um, it seems to be a similar situation. What's going on now in Alberta? Um, so the same groups that had, uh, you know, the groups that had allowed access uh to the coastal gas link with tc energy um those people uh those peoples were also cut in they were given a minority non-operating interest in that pipeline which mm -hmm. is why they were very vocal in the criticism of uh you know the indigenous people that opposed uh workers and you know barricaded roads um as they should in my opinion um so now they've announced this new deal with a separate pipeline in Alberta um, where they're doing basically the same thing, where they're, they're cutting in a certain amount of indigenous leaders um, that are uh, willing and amicable in terms of playing ball with uh, Enbridge. Um, and they're doing it through uh, a group called the Alberta Indigenous uh, Opportunities uh, Coalition. Uh, sorry, corporation. The Alberta Indigenous mm. Opportunities Corporation, which Much is <laughs> it is really. Uh, we're, we're basically it is a group that's um, entire point is to be a middleman on on loans. So what they do is that they're saying like they specifically deal with indigenous people in Alberta, but basically um, they are there to be a guarantee. Uh, they they offer guaranteed loans, which means um, let's say you are an indigenous. Uh, business owner 
in Alberta and you want to set up uh, a business in one of the fields that uh, AIOC uh, is relevant to. So that's natural resources, agriculture, telecommunication, and transportation, right? Hmm. Infrastructure, right? Infrastructure that uh, historically um, has uh, basically done nothing for the indigenous communities and they've been completely divorced and disenfranchised from. Yeah. Uh, so again, again, on the face, this seems like a good thing. Um, until you start to talk about it, um, because their minimum uh, loan amount that they will guarantee is $20 million, which for most indigenous people uh, is a laugh. Like these aren't, these are not Even personal loans. Yeah, these are not personal loans. These are not home loans. These are loans specifically for large businesses. Uh, you have to, if you're going to be getting a loan, because the, the AIOC is not loaning this money out. All they're saying is, if you get a loan of at least $20 million up to $250 million, we will pay back your creditor if you default. Mm-hmm. Right? As basically a buffer uh, saying, oh, like indigenous people are historically disenfranchised. There is yeah. a likelihood they may not be able to pay this back. Um, the problem being no fucking impoverished person, no person in real need of money like that is ever going to have the kind of assets or collateral to put up to even qualify for a $20 million loan, let alone get one, let alone have that loan, uh, you know, get qualified and then guaranteed by the AIOC. So really what these people are doing is it's, it's kind of a way to pink wash, uh, private investment firms. That That's kind of what this is. The AIOC is, um, kind of what it's doing is it's, being a go-between between these uh, the Canadian government and these Canadian corporations and uh, these indigenous entities that want in on that cash. Um, so, for instance, the the entity that was formed uh, to with uh, facilitate this deal with Enbridge to to uh, manage the quote-unquote investment into mm-hmm. Enbridge in Alberta is called uh, the ABI, uh, and it's the uh, uh, Athabasca. Uh, indigenous, uh, sorry, it's the, uh, Athen- oh my fucking god. One second. The, so the entity is called Athabasca Indigenous Investments. So mm. it's AII. Um, they are basically a hedge fund in essence. Um, but if a hedge fund only ever managed a single investment, that being mm. their stake in Enbridge. So normally a hedge fund is a pool of private investors that will diversify their portfolio and will invest in different companies and different stocks and different ventures. This is very much like that where it's, it's a firm that is meant to uh, manage this, this stake, but they only manage that stake in Enbridge and that is it. Yeah. Um, and the AIOC has put up over $400 million of their own money uh, for this purchase because it's not to be clear this is not enbridge giving a gift or doing charity this is a transaction this group of indigenous people are buying a stake they are buying 11.57 percent uh interest in this pipeline the only supposed benefit is that they now have the opportunity to buy in Exactly, and, and now now they will also benefit from it, quote unquote, while it destroys their ancestral homeland, and uh, facilitates Makes the earth unlivable. Yeah, and facilitates the RCMP to go in and actually uh, brutalize 
actual impoverished indigenous people actually living uh in this place still um it's it's horrible it's horrifying and it's uh i think uh, you know ultimately um i think if you know i think a lot of times leftists are not realistic when they talk about indigenous indigenous management of natural resources so like for instance in bolivia right where there's a huge indigenous movement um that like won the president his seat basically yeah um who's was on the backs of indigenous workers and uh coalitions of indigenous workers like they want to still mine that lithium even though they it's sitting underneath land that is very important and precious to them they still understand that they have this huge natural resource that they do need to extract and exploit uh to keep their country afloat and to maintain their sovereignty and to maintain their economy now obviously we would prefer if things weren't polluted and things weren't extracted but if any if it's going to happen anyway we want it to be done by people who actually give a shit about the consequences of those actions Mm -hmm. and indigenous people historically are the best people for that job Um, so that said this is not the case for what enbridge is doing in alberta and what tc energy did uh in uh, british columbia because these indigenous groups do not have a say in how this pipeline is rolled out they don't have a say in in terms of how things go they say they do they say like we're gonna make sure it's done properly but what does that actually amount to it doesn't amount to anything because what are they gonna do what are you gonna do you're not you, you don't have enough percentage stake in the pipeline to be a poison pill so you could not take control over the operation it's a non-operating stake, so you're under no obligation to operate, but you're also, you don't have a responsibility to operate, so you don't have any leverage there. So all you're really doing is saying, we can make money off of this if it makes money, or we'll lose money if it loses money, but ultimately, we don't really have much say here. Um, that And that's unfortunately what's going to happen, and the people who are going to be most affected within this indigenous community are going to be the people uh, who had the least amount of say and probably wanted it the least. Um it's really fucking terrible. It's really frustrating. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I understand that uh, for a lot of indigenous people, they would love to get their hands on this money. But, the, I mean, frankly, the situation is they probably won't. Just like with TC Energy in British Columbia, I don't think I saw anybody get any of that money that wasn't one of those hereditary chiefs or, like, their immediate, like, you know, the people that immediately surrounded them. Like... <laughs> I don't think uh, the the people of the Wet'suwet'en who are like freezing their fucking asses off at those checkpoints to prevent uh, you know those trucks coming through. I don't think they ever saw any of that cash, and I don't no. think any any actual impoverished Indigenous people or First Nations people in Alberta are going to see any of the one point one billion dollars uh, that got paid into Enbridge for the stake. I don't think they're going to see a return on any of that, uh, especially considering the fact that. AIOC put up $410 million and then the rest was put up by quote unquote private investors, which is either the indigenous people involved or other creditors. So ultimately, if, if you're just going to go plain black and white, who is supposed to benefit? It is those creditors. It is whoever put up that money in the first place. They are the people who have like, are, who are being, you know, obligated to be paid. Um, not, you know, these communities that have been ransacked for centuries yeah uh so it's really frustrating and um 
a big part of the problem that's happened because of this this could because this is such great this is such great quote-unquote news um for like you know if you're just a fan of liberal democracy as a concept yeah. um without any kind of criticism that immediately what happened and this is what i was talking about with the way the media kind of twists things and just runs with things without thinking or runs with things thinking but choosing to avoid the reality is immediately pundits started relitigating line five the second this happened it immediately brought back up and they're like and a big argument that they're using is like it's it's so wrong that people are trying to shut down line five now that russia has invaded ukraine and we're facing an energy crisis um so they all they start spouting the bullshit stuff that we've established before like Mm -hmm. how there'd be widespread uh loss of natural gas and oil which we know is not true because the capacity in line five has already been made up for in other pipelines and how it is not the main source of those fossil fuels for michigan or even necessarily for canada like a lot of like the places that are receiving these resources are also getting them from elsewhere in much higher quantities. Um, they don't talk about the fact that um, Enbridge has historically shittily maintained pipelines. Um, and so, you know, they're, they're talking about, uh, you know, th- these indigenous groups within this deal that was announced. So the deal was announced today and it'll probably go through within a month or so of now. So it's not mm-hmm. quote unquote finalized, but it essentially is. Um, The problem is that a lot of these indigenous leaders were talking about like, oh, like this is going to, you know, this is going to help us. This is going to provide, you know, we're going to do it the right way and it's going to provide all these opportunities for us. Um, but that is all assuming that Enbridge maintains the pipeline and that Enbridge uh, installs the pipeline properly Two things they historically have not done. <laughs> I mean, we talked about how many, like, we, we quoted how many hundred, you know, individual small leaks, quote-unquote, exactly. in and, Oil Update 1. And it's actually really interesting that they, they released this today because um, literally two weeks ago, uh, the National Transportation Safety Board released its final report on uh, a, the natural gas pipeline explosion uh that occurred in louisville kentucky back in 2019 uh Mm -hmm. at an enbridge facility that's they it's so funny it's so random that this is something they announced two weeks later uh really interesting really great timing there easy wild shit so back in august of 2019 um you know what i guess you know what let me just read because it's it's fucking horrifying you go on um jesus so in louisville kentucky bro fuck off dude sorry nutmeg is uh she's not respecting the recording space she doesn't respect my authority in the house she doesn't understand that i could choose to eat her like she could be dinner if i I really felt like it I think she knows, and I think she just knows that your girlfriend would be upset. She'd be upset. So you won't do it. She'd get over it. So, that, yeah, let's, let's just talk about this explosion. Yeah, <laughs> let's, let's, talk about let's this get into this explosion. highly terrifying thing. It's really fucking scary. 
it's it's really fucking scary what happened. So, basically, August uh, 2019, um, a pipeline outside Louisville, Kentucky, run by run and operated by Enbridge, uh, containing natural gas, exploded. Uh, it was near uh, a railroad uh, track as well as uh, a pretty uh, busy road. So obviously those things have the tendency to shift pipelines because they shake the ground a lot. Yeah. Um, and the pipeline itself was over half a century old. <laughs> so you'd think they would maintain it, right? Yeah, it's weird. It's almost like things that uh, last that long, mechanical or otherwise, require some kind of maintenance. So No. Yeah. Uh, that's crazy. It's the yeah. damnedest fucking thing. It's almost like moving parts stress each other. Exactly. So what, what ended up happening was essentially... Um, a, this this thirty inch wide pipeline just fucking exploded, um, killing uh, one person, uh, an operator. Uh, five other people were hospitalized. It burned down about a half a dozen or so houses, and it charred a uh, thirty acre rate like uh, basically a thirty acre diameter of of area around it. Um, it's literally just a fuck. It looks like like a fucking bomb dropped uh it's is horrifying to see the pictures of it and when they talk about the way um uh the, the one person who died uh lisa denise uh derringer whose family uh, actually filed a wrongful death long, uh, lawsuit against enbridge that i believe is still pending because uh, they, they now have uh, a, f- a few lawsuits stacked up uh three there is a, a few uh for like uh neglect in terms of like repairs uh, neglecting to tell, uh, like, to properly train employees, to, like, properly provide safety uh, for employees to, to have these things regulated. Um, and uh, it, it's horrible. The way they talk about the way she died is uh, it exploded. Uh, she, she managed to get her phone out and start calling her family. And then she passed out and burned to death uh, because she was on fire. Uh, it's fucking horrifying. The idea that like you might get a call from your mom and it's just her like choking on fire as she dies, just choking and screaming. And... You can't scream. There's no air. You can't well, get it out. No. And if you could scream, it would just char your lungs from the inside. That's... Well, they're they're already charred. Like that's the problem with burning to death, as we learned in the Pinto episode, is you're just breathing in fire at a certain mm-hmm. point. Uh, so that's what Enbridge did. They they killed a woman. Uh, and uh, what what the uh, report, what the uh, the NTBS, uh, uh, sorry, NTSB report uh, had found uh, was that it was both a manufacturing defect and then ineffective cathodic protection. Uh, so basically, what happened was um, they put it in a a bad location that should have been that it shouldn't have been put, been placed in to begin with. They on top of that did not maintain it the way they were supposed to. And because this specific pipeline was manufactured so poorly, it didn't have the kind of corrosion protection that you need to put on a metal pipeline. So essentially, weak spots occurred that were na- that were naturally corroded. Uh, and because this is a giant fucking pressurized pipe full of natural gas, all it takes is a weak spot to cause a huge leak. And the force of such a leak bursting through a pipeline often can cause the spark needed to ignite uh, that burst into a, a full-on explosion. Um, so these are things that regulators 
uh, would have noticed if they had been doing their jobs, which they clearly weren't because it, it was a company that Enbridge was just paying to do it. They, they didn't even release the findings of their 2019 uh, like uh, actual uh, analysis. Like, you know when you go to the gas station, like, this pump was, like, you know, somebody said this pump won't explode in your fucking hands within six months. You're good. Yeah. Uh, There's that Department of Agriculture sticker on it. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of the same thing where it, it's they, they have, but instead of it being a regulatory body because we live in a hell country, they can just subcontract that out to a different co- company. Yeah, it's just another right? private company that they can just own. Yeah, so they they had they had uh, you know reviewed the pipeline in 2011, in 2018, and 2019, and their report from 2019 was surprisingly not to be found, probably because they told Enbridge that it was unsafe and they probably continued operating anyway. If, mm-hmm. if we can draw any uh, speculation based on their uh, prior behavior and their prior maintenance of pipelines. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, Colin, well, it's natural gas. The pipeline was over a century old. This, I feel like this stuff, you know, maybe it's, it's not that common. It shouldn't happen. Uh, and I get, like, your point is, well, what if this was in the Great Lakes? Like, it'd be way worse. You know, this is horrifying. But, it, yeah, if, it, if, if we just filled the great lakes with natural gas with fucking hydrocarbons it would be oh, just yeah, as the, bad the largest source of drinking water in north america yeah uh, that would be a fucking problem yeah it's like you know this was on dry dry land where they could have routine accents to maintain and repair it how do you think they would do that if it's on a fucking shifting lake bed it seems like a more difficult proposition but colin again this seems pretty uncommon uh it seems almost unfair uh to bring it up and i would agree if uh, if not for the fact that yesterday, uh, another literally yesterday, September twenty seventh, another uh, natural gas pipeline exploded in Canada, also run by Enbridge in uh, Prince George, uh, and it killed uh, uh, I believe at least one member of a local indigenous group and uh, uh, hurt a few others, uh, and so it's like yeah, they uh, it really doesn't fucking <laughs> they're really bad at it. So for these indigenous groups to then say, we're partnering with them, we're investing in these pipelines, and we're going to do it the right way. Well, I don't think fucking Enbridge knows how to do it the right way. And you're not operating the pipeline, so you're not, you're certainly not doing it the right way. So maybe this is bullshit. Maybe what's happening here is some kind of pinkwashing to deal with the fact that they're literally having these fucking Mounties stove in people's fucking skulls so that they can earn a few extra cents on their profit margin. Maybe, buddy. Maybe. But I don't know. Who's to say? Yeah, those dollars and cents make Who's a whole lot of sense, say? you know. Who's to say? <laughs> um, Excuse me. So, obviously, this is super timely because this stuff just happened. So, let's let's be slightly less timely. <laughs> and let's talk about um, uh, a piece of legislature from 2016 uh, called the Puerto Rico Oversight Management and Economic Stability Act, uh, colloquially known as PROMESA. Uh, the ironic, Promesa. ironically named Promesa, very funny to me. Uh, uh, that if you'll remember, it was actually championed by Lin Manuel Miranda. Lin Manuel Miranda that, of Hamilton. The, that piece of shit. I just okay, real real quick digression. Lin Manuel Miranda is a musical theater uh, icon who uh, basically wrote In the Heights which is a, a, uh, a, a really fantastic uh, piece of art about uh, Washington Heights, uh, a borough uh, in, not a borough, but essentially a neighborhood, a neighborhood uh, uh, within, I think, Queens. 
uh, not Queens. I mean, uh, it, it doesn't matter. Detroit, okay? There's yeah. one. I can't. There's, there's, there's downtown, there's Corp Town. <laughs> I. Oof. Uh, there's Bricktown sometimes. Sometimes. Uh, Midtown's not real. It's an invention of the white middle class. Yeah, uh, Mid- Midtown was invented by Wayne State University yeah, and the Illiches. And the De- Detroit Police Department. <laughs> uh, Wayne State has their own police department, thank you. Yeah. I mean, you got hey, you had too many black radicals on campus in the 70s. You gotta really crack down on that now. Uh, but basically, you know, he wrote he wrote a, a really moving piece about uh, the, the immigrant experience... And growing up in an impoverished Hispanic community, despite the fact that he was a child of privilege who never lived in Washington Heights uh, and went to, uh, you know, did go to public school and got picked on by Immortal Technique. Uh, as, they, as kids, Lin-Manuel Miranda was bullied by Immortal Technique. Um, Goddamn. <laughs> which is hilarious to me. Um, but yeah, so and then he write, writes Hamilton, which is obviously a really disgusting revisionist history about our founding fathers. Yeah. And really whitewashes a lot of things about them. Uh, Very specifically Alexander Hamilton, who never owned slaves, he just leased them. Uh, and also, whose greatest contribution to uh, America, to, to our country, was... was shot. Um, no, I'm saying like his most notable contribution, besides uh, the bus, which was dismantled. Um, <laughs> but also... Uh, the fact that he uh, referred to um, the, the the voters as the rabble. That, that, the rabble? Because that was a major thrust of the Federalist Papers. So there's an entire fucking song in Hamilton about the Federalist Papers and how mm-hmm. great they were. Um, but if you actually read them, they're all about like, we can't let the poors vote. If we let the poors vote, they're going to break down the whole thing. Like... That's the whole point of the Federalist Papers. It's a huge thrust the of it of is we can't let people have democracy because if we do, then they might make us not in charge. Um, which is funny because the whole point of Lin-Manuel writing uh, Hamilton was like, I'm going to write about uh, America then using America now. I'm going to tell the story of an immigrant through Alexander Hamilton. It's like, he was fucking white and rich. Like, I get, like, yeah, his family died, so maybe feel bad about that. But everybody's family died back then. You know whose family was dying? Who I do feel bad about? Slaves. All the slaves. Because they were usually murdered. Violently. Exactly. And there's, like, literally only, like, one line that addresses people own slaves, and it's meant as a personal insult towards Thomas Jefferson. And then slavery is basically, for the most part, never addressed again in the entire yeah. musical. Largely ignored. So, yeah, Lin-Manuel Miranda is a piece of shit, revisionist history, uh, proletariat LARPer who likes to pretend that he's enmeshed in the the immigrant uh, uh, narrative because he's Puerto Rican, um, but distantly. <laughs> and his dad is a Democrat uh, stooge that has helped uh, enforce austerity on actual working class Hispanic people his entire adult life. So, um, yeah, and... Pro Mesa is a great example of what Lin Manuel Miranda and his father and their uh, you know their kind of whole circle stand for, which is means tested neoliberal quote unquote reforms that all end up doing is uh, putting indigenous people under the boot heel of uh, finance capital, which is exactly what happened. So uh, the Puerto Rico Oversight Management Economic Stability Act uh, put into place. Um, 
the uh, uh, La Junta, uh, as it's referred to in Puerto Rico, uh, or the Financial Oversight and Management Board of Puerto Rico. Um, I just like that it's just that like everybody's like, yes, it's the financial oversight, and the Puerto Ricans are just like, yeah, the fucking junta. Well, it's like called, the, the f- well, ahead, junta just means like meeting or like group or board. It's just like a general term for like a government yeah, body. Yeah, but I mean, I, I understand, but also like in a historical context with it's usually when they're military in regard junta. to yeah, in regard to Latin America and you know Latin occupied countries in South America. It, 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 there's a particular connotation to that word, and it should be because this is this is just straight up colonialism. Uh, this is literally this is literally just what if instead of a viceroy we had a board of financiers? That is the only difference between straight up colonialism and what's happening right now is they've they've put a capitalist coat of paint over it. What if instead of one viceroy? We had we had ten. six. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so what what La Junta has done in Puerto Rico? So Puerto Rico previously had a nationalized electrical grid. Um, so basically everything was uh, managed by the state. Um, which, if you are an impoverished island uh, colony, uh, that gets little to, to no support uh, from your colonial paymaster and who uh, is disallowed, basically, by international law from receiving... Like, or not even international law, by, by the U.S. law from receiving... Yeah, by your colonial payments. Yeah, from receiving any kind of help or assistance from outside countries, um, you're fucked. Um, and, and, but, and so you need to have a really tight hold on industry, on enterprise, uh, because if it runs away from you, it's not like in the United States where you can just move to a different area uh, if you have the means... Uh, you really are completely stuck. Like even yeah. like even as little as people have chance to dictate their fate here in the states, people have even less in Puerto Rico. Uh, and I am delineating between they are not part of the United States because they don't get treated like fucking American citizens. They get treated like second class fucking citizens. They get treated like uh, born criminals in Puerto Rico, and it's disgusting. And if they want statehood, they should have it. And if they want to be their own country, they should have it. Uh, that's up to them. It's none of my fucking business. Yeah. Um, but if Democrats were smart, they would push for Puerto Rican statehood, but they're not, so they won't. Um, but essentially what La Junta did in terms of their electrical grid is it divested um, the ability to maintain uh, and repair uh, the electrical grid from the portion that generated electrical grid. So that's where Luma comes in. So Luma is... Uh, much like we've talked about in like Texas's electric electrical grid situation Urcat. or California's, uh, it's it's a private company that's whole job is only to maintain um, the electrical grid and to uh, basically send electricity to different areas. That's their whole point. So it's imagine if like when you had a problem with your power. You call DTE and they're like, all right, let's get the other company that actually works our lines. Then they can come help you because we only generate the power. So that's what the fucked up situation that La Junta has put Puerto Rico in. Without knowing anything else about Luma or how they've completely mishandled the situation, you can tell that this is stupid. Because why would you have two separate entities operating a single electrical grid for a tiny island 
that is stupid because you have to constantly talk back and forth anytime there's any kind of issue anytime there's any kind of change uh you're like who are you paying your bill to you're are you paying it to two separate entities are you paying it to one if you're paying it to one does that mean that luma can just shut it off even though you paid your bill uh to the nationalized company like it's it creates all these immediate questions and issues um and part of that is is what we've seen so um with hurricane ian hurricane ian destroyed uh puerto rico's electrical grid uh so thoroughly not just because of the fact that they're historically disenfranchised not just because that they are um like a completely left on their own but also completely uh isolated colony um on top of that luma hasn't been doing their job they've been doing what colonial endeavors do all the time is taking the money that's meant for the people that live there and lining their own pockets with it. So they haven't been ma maintaining the electrical grid like they were supposed to. They haven't been updating uh, lines like they were supposed to. So essentially, Puerto Rico's electrical grid has fallen into severe disrepair, and Hurricane Ian was just the fucking cherry on top to blow the whole thing over. So mm. in the aftermath, the United States wasn't allowing diesel ships... Uh, from the Marshall Islands to come to Puerto Rico to fuel their generators uh, because because of the rules basically on what who and what can come to Puerto Rico it would require require a waiver for the Jones Act which basically establishes an embargo around Puerto Rico for the world which is horrifying um, and normally in times of emergency the United States would just issue those waivers so they could get immediate aid to Puerto Rico. But because of PROMESA and La Junta, uh, that has not happened because now all of a sudden it's not the direct federal government in charge of it. It's this financial oversight board that has horrifically mismanaged the situation. Um, they're, they're like, oh, we can't let it be solved by somebody else. We have to do it to prove that we're still the ones who should be in charge. Yeah. And then they fuck it up every fucking step of the way like they always do. Exactly. Luma was, like, you know, basically completely hapless when the hurricane hit like they had no plans no, no idea that it was coming even though everybody did like they're they completely unprepared for it um and you know for days at a time all the fucking island was completely without power if you look at cuba's response uh like even though cuba is a similarly impoverished nation because of the horrific embargo that's been placed upon it for for decades mm -hmm. um they still like had a good mobilization on their energy grid like yeah it's still a lot of fucking work yeah i'm sure a lot of cuba is still without power but like they're actually working on it versus there luma was a plan in place. where luma was caught where basically what they were doing is people so <laughs> to get luma to come out to your house or to know that your house didn't have power hilarious the fact that they had to do that you had to submit a ticket like the same way we do with dte when we submit a ticket for an outage you had to do that with luma so already there's a problem because where the fuck are you getting power to get internet access to submit a ticket? Yeah. Um, on top of that, what Luma was doing is after a certain period of time, even if a ticket was completely unaddressed, they were just marking it as completed. So they were right now on their site. It says that they have over 1.17 uh, 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 million uh, customers have their power restored. But because they've just been 
cycling through those tickets, who's to say how many people actually have power? And yeah. if you constantly have to resubmit tickets, where are you getting the power for internet access? So it's kind of this recursive problem where La Junta and Luma, through this horrific crony capitalism, have created the circumstances, the perfect shitstorm, to fuck over the island of Puerto Rico and are now basically slow walking uh, the resolution either to continue to line their own pockets in hopes of more federal money coming their way or because they're truly incompetent or because they're truly uh, cruel and bigoted and want to punish the people of Puerto Rico. It's got to be at least one of those and probably a combination. It's more than likely it's a I'd little say bit of most all likely, three. Yeah, six, you know, six and one half dozen of the other type of thing. Uh, I, <laughs> oh man, I do, I do want to say, I do think it's really, uh, I hope, I hope one day that I get the chance to write a, uh, a Broadway musical about Lin-Manuel Miranda and just get to, <laughs> most of it is going to be him as a teenager getting bullied by a mortal technique. And then just round so about, round about intermission, we're going to, we go, and then we're just going to go to the part where he became an adult, like a weepy adult, and he's rapping at the White House. And then that's the end of it. <laughs> that's it. That's the whole thing. And then I have a mortal technique come out, and he shoots me to death on stage. One night only. He wouldn't do that. A mortal technique's a nice guy. but <laughs> I mean, if you asked him enough. I don't know if I... I, I feel like he's not... He doesn't want to go back to prison. So he probably well, he would not Probably not, but... You know, like you said, he's a nice guy. He does seem like a nice guy, honestly. Uh, he does seem like he's. I you ever follow his Twitter account? No. It's so he tweets like a fucking dad. It's hilarious. Where he's just like, look at this shit, and it's just like a really badly cropped screenshot of like a blurry article head. And it's like, ah, oh, you're trying, tech. Ah, oh, you're trying. I believe in you, buddy. Mm. Oh, what a great guy. Oh, yeah, I mean, he understands. He like if if you ever want to like hear somebody speak very eloquently about like the intermingled struggle of uh, black people in the Americas uh, and Hispanic people in the Americas and how it is just one big struggle that's been mm -hmm. divided uh, like narratively by white people, uh, uh, moral technique is pretty good about talking about that, um, and. You know, Pramesa, right, this, this kind of neoliberal bullshit that's been peddled um, as this way of saying, like, oh, we're going to help Puerto Rico, but really we're, we're going to gut them, uh, is kind yeah. of similar uh, to um, earlier this year in August uh, when President uh, Joe Brandon, excuse me, signed uh, the Let's Chips and Science Act. Um, so if you guys, are you guys familiar with the Chips and Science Act? It's a big deal in here in Michigan. The uh, Chips and Science Act. I don't know, but I really want chips now. Oh, dip. What kind of dip? Mm. What kind of dip does science taste like? <laughs> what kind of dip does science taste like? Bromine. Plasma. Mmm. 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 Hot gas. Mmm. <laughs> it's inert. <laughs> it's inert. Uh, Wink. Just, oh, is this. <laughs> what's the seventh layer in this dip, sweetie? Argon. <laughs> uh, you know what the secret ingredient is? Rubidium. Oh, ew. <laughs> uh, so back in back in August, President Biden signed the Chips and Science Act, which is basically um, it did a lot of things, uh, but but a big one, a big huge part of it was the idea that we wanted to 
uh, build American semiconductor factories. Uh, so semiconductors are huge in the manufacture of small electronics, but especially in the manufacture of EVs, electric vehicles. Um, so that, that's been one of like the things that people have crowed about before. It's like, it's just not reasonable to build EVs here in America because we have to get all the components. Yeah, all the chip infrastructure. And it's really. like, well, the Rust Belt, people of working class people have been uh, forced out of the workplace for decades here in the Rust Belt. And uh, we've needed jobs forever. So, it's, hey, a lot of these factories just closed and then nothing ever came back. Uh, so You can just put something there. You can there. just put something there. It uh, turns out we got the space. And so, th- what what I actually want to read from uh, I, there's a really great article uh, in the American Prospect uh, by Lee Harris uh, entitled "Industrial Policy Without Industrial Unions," and it is a great example of how um, even things that seem good for the environment and good uh, broadly for progressive politics uh, are bad because of the way that they've been completely neutered uh, by the people that have, that have uh, emplaced them and by the fact that people refuse to understand uh, or refuse to act on the knowledge that corporations never act in good faith because that is not their point. Their point is to make money and you do that however you can. Which is usually by lying. Exactly. Um, so uh, the article does talk about um, how, you know, uh, over time, basically, um, the, uh, the automotive industry has, like, tried to divest itself of union workers. And I know what you're thinking, right? You're thinking that uh, the idea that bringing semiconductor manufacturing uh, into America is a good thing because it's going to bring these jobs, um, especially to a much-needed, uh, a much-in-need region like the, the Midwest, the Upper Midwest, the Rust Belt. Um, and you'd be right that these are much needed jobs, but you'd be wrong in that it's a good thing or that it solves or addresses any of those problems. Um, so for instance, uh, and this I'm reading from industrial policy without industrial unions, uh, by Lee Harris from the American prospect. So as a 23, as a 23 year old union painter in 1986, David Bentley helped stand up mitsubishi motor manufacturing in normal illinois to prevent export restrictions the japanese automaker had agreed to open plants in the midwest in exchange for the freedom to sell more of its small fuel efficient cars in the american industry uh and it's important that this is they're talking about illinois because uh, earlier in the article they talk about the fact that illinois um so the chips act basically is offering all these subsidies to manufacturers to incentivize them bringing manufacturing back to the united states uh to the midwest and Illinois specifically passed its own equivalent of the CHIPS Act called uh, MICRO, which offers even additional subsidies. Uh, The problem is, uh, as we'll see, Mitsubishi made me, Bentley told the prospect. After painting the original steel structure, he worked on several plant expansions. He also started his own company, Commercial and Industrial Coatings, which grew to become one of Mitsubishi's top contractors. But annual vehicle production shrank from more than 200,000 in 2002 to just 64,000 in 2014. And Mitsubishi eventually left the U.S. to focus on the growing Asian market. Bentley was overjoyed when Rivian announced in 2017 that it would buy the old campus. Given his extensive knowledge of the site, he expected to be tapped for renovations. The following winter, 
ahead of a visit by CEO R.J. Scaringe, Bentley heard that Rivian leadership wanted to remove the faint Mitsubishi lettering on the side of the building and replace it with a Rivian sign visible from the nearby interstate highway. With his crew, Bentley said he worked in the cold and ice to remove the old lettering, anticipating bigger rehabbing projects down the line. I did it for next to free, just to get in with them. But those bigger jobs never came. Bentley offered extensive site consultation, producing samples and mock-ups, and bid on a project to polish 2 million square feet of concrete. But his local team was not chosen. Instead, he learned, Rivian was turning to outside contractors. In 2019, he closed commercial and industrial coatings, which at its height had employed more than two dozen union workers. It wasn't just Bentley. Other local workers have struggled to get hired by Rivian, despite generous public subsidies luring the company to normal. We had conversations with the top brass. They did not want us in that plant, said uh, Mandy uh, G. Uh, God damn it. I fucked this. this. So this person's name, I fucked up so hard when I was reading earlier that I had my girlfriend help me figure out the uh, pronunciation of it. And I com completely spaced uh, <laughs> again. So I'm just going to fucking f we're going to go for it. Uh, we had conversations with the top brass. They did not want us in that plant, said Mandy Ganiani, Janiani, uh, or sure. organizing. Sure. It's G A N E G A N I E A N Y. Ganiani. Ganiani. Uh, said Manny Ganiani. It could be Ganiani. 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 It's fucking Italian. All right. Yeah. Or it's not. <laughs> It could be no anything, clue. and we're bad at names. So bad at names. Well, Mrs. Ganiani, if you're listening, we apologize. Ms. Ms. Yep. or Mrs. Are bad. Please. Uh, they're, they're the organizing Forgive director us. for uh, the Painters District Council Number 30 of the International, International Union of Painters and Allied Trades based in Aurora. Uh, the city of Normal, Illinois, gave Rivian approximately... $3 million in tax breaks between 2017 and 2022, according to a project development agreement, which, without requiring residents to be hired locally, it does require set the salaries uh, to not fall beneath average local wages. However, uh, Illinois has promised $49.5 in state tax credits if Rivian creates 1,000 jobs over a decade. A decade create a thousand jobs over a decade. It's so funny. So just a hundred jobs a year. Which is so funny that that's the number two because the Chips Act, its whole uh, the thing that it purported to do was to create, um, basically to create nine million jobs over the course of a decade, which mm -hmm. for our current unemployment rate, I think we worked. Uh, uh, my girlfriend and I worked out the math where unemployment sitting around like three ish percent about right now. So we yeah. could be generous and just round it to three uh, because obviously there's going to be a bunch of bullshit with people who got kicked off uh, UI and mm -hmm. like don't aren't considered unemployed, even though they are. Um, so let's just say 3%. 3% of the workforce right now is 9 million roundabout. So you're saying that you will provide nine, the amount of jobs we need right now over the course of 10 years in 10 years yes so it's yeah so nothing so it's nothing 
but it sounds really good. It hits your ear right, but then you start digging through and you're like, oh, there's, they're not having these requirements that they hire local. They're not having these requirements that don't bring in outside contractors. They're not having these wage requirements. They're not having these require like they're having these garbage fucking quotas. Um, terrible, terrible, terrible. Um, they rule out the red carpet for this company, company uh, Ganiani said. Yet elected officials were unhelpful as unions pushed for hiring local workers, she said. Not all the work has been outsourced. Local contract, local contractor PJ Hoer, for example, won a remodeling deal. I'm sorry, it's it's a funny. It's, his last name is H O E R R, so it's like you Hoer, Hoer, Hoer. Uh, but Ronnie Paul of the local laborers union said that Rivian has run into labor issues, particularly particularly uh, when they started hiring these out of state, out of country contractors to come in here who aren't familiar with Illinois law. For example, uh, Painters USA, a firm domiciled in Chicago and Dallas, brought in workers from South Texas during the $1.2 billion renovation of Rivian's plant, which, as we just stated, is, you know, at least in no small part bankrolled by your tax money. Um, mm -hmm. According to one person familiar with the company's practices, one worker shot himself in the hand with a paint gun, the person said, leading to an OSHA investigation. Rivian has been the subject of numerous OSHA complaints, including a 2020 violation involving a falling object protection in which it was in, in which it was charged a penalty of $5,969. Painters USA did not respond to request for comment. <laughs> so nothing. Less than six, nothing. They paid out nothing. Yeah, for somebody that probably has had their body destroyed by a workplace accident. Um, to build assembly lines at the plant, an investigation by Illinois Attorney General Kwame Raoul found companies hired by Rivian used an elaborate subcontracting arrangement to deny overtime pay to Mexican laborers. Rivian initially hired Mino Equipment, a China-based subcontractor used by several American EV companies, including Tesla. Mino contracted the work to firms based in Florida and Spain. Those companies further subcontracted out to Mexican-based SDS and LAM Automation, which hired workers from Mexico for the construction jobs in Illinois. Before we go on, I want to say something I feel like is very important. Um, I have no problem with migrant workers. I feel like migrant workers are the backbone of the American economy, and they are the core of a lot of our communities. Migrant workers are workers, and they deserve the same rights and protections and wages as, you know, American workers, regardless of their citizenship status, regardless of whether or not they're going to be staying here permanently, they deserve the same kinds of protections. They deserve the same kinds of wages. So when I talk about um, them bringing in migrant work uh, as a negative, it's not because they're bringing Mexicans to steal our jobs. That's ridiculous. That's bullshit peddled by bosses to make you mad at other workers. Um, hmm. What's frustrating is that they're bringing in people and exploiting them and then using that exploitation to further exploit other people. Um, migrant work is not bad for you as a worker because they're stealing your job. Migrant work is bad for you as a worker because those those workers are getting fucked over so hard that you're getting fucked over residually from it. At least 113 Mexican workers were denied overtime, the investigation learned, as they routinely worked between 60 and 80 hours per week. 
Raul recovered back wages and civil penalties totaling more than seven hundred thousand. So that's seven hundred, yeah, seven hundred thousand dollars. That's just what they were able to recover, not the yeah. full damages that we can assume occurred, uh, because how many people, how many, how many of uh, these workers might have been uh, afraid to come forward or afraid to be involved or just thought, hey, I'm gonna be, you know, I'm not gonna be here. I'm gonna be moving back home. Uh, in a certain amount of time, there's no reason to get involved in this suit, blow up my spot, and ruin my chances of working with Rivian more. Um, yeah. They're, they're, they're put in such a bad situation by these companies on purpose so that they don't really have a lot of recourse when they get fucked over like this. Um, uh, Raul, uh, you know, the Illinois AG, only learned of the labor violations due to a tip from the local electricians union. Uh, he... Uh, precisely for that reason, he believes workers at clean energy plants should be unionized. The contractors probably didn't seek out Illinois workers for the scheme, likely because they knew Illinois workers would be more apprised of the laws that protected them, Raul said. It was but for a tip from organized labor in the interest of protecting workers that we unraveled this. Ironically, local politicians don't share his perspective. Chris Coos, the Democratic mayor of Normal, argued that bringing in out-of-state and even foreign workers is a net positive. If people are willing to travel here to work, it's good-paying jobs, Coos told the prospect. If they're in another state or downstate or Chicagoland, and they've got people idle, it's good. Dog brain. Dog that's, that's brain. absolutely fucking moronic. Makes no goddamn sense. Asked about the state investigation into wage theft, the mayor denied knowing about it. <laughs> when pressed, Coos said, that was a subcontractor, it wasn't Rivian. He added, I know that things out at that plant are going 100 miles an hour. <laughs> so he didn't know about it until he was pressed on it, and when he did know about it, he was like, well, it wasn't Rivian, it was just a, a subcontractor that they brought in. Uh, yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't us. It was just somebody that we hired. Yeah, it's bullshit. So, no, not somebody they hired. Somebody that they hired. That somebody they hired. That somebody they hired. <laughs> Got it. Yeah, that totally absolves them of yeah. uh, any responsibility. Hey, yep. that's that's enough absolution to not charge Nestle with child slavery. Is oh, there was two or three companies in between me and and the child slaves, so I didn't make money off child slavery directly, just through these other companies. So it's fine. Duh, are you stupid? <laughs> uh, in his campaign, Biden proposed to make union neutrality where companies agreed to not contest a union vote, a condition for employers to receive federal funding. He also vowed to pass fines for employers who violate labor laws when firing employees. Neither of those provisions appeared in the IRA, which was the Inflation Reduction Act. Um, of course, yeah. Biden also wanted consumer rebates to go specifically to union-built cars, which would have added $4,500 under the $7,500 federal tax credit extended by the bill. This was personally axed by Senator Joe Manchin, who called the proposal not American uh, at an event at Toyota's non-union West Virginia Components Plant. <laughs> Uh, union neutrality were uh, union union neutrality uh, provisions were also stripped out of chips and the bipartisan infrastructure law bill. Uh, in each case, uh, there were hurdles to including pro union language. IRA was a reconciliation bill uh, restricted to spending, making it tough to include standards. And the bipartisan bills faced Republican political opposition to labor provisions. That means agencies allocating allocating the funding will play a, a, cr a crucial role in whether federal dollars su support union work. Um, they go on to talk about in this article uh, a little bit about like, the history of the way these wages work and how um, uh, 
before Ronald Reagan, there was basically this established thing where if over 30%, if at least 30% of workers in a given industry, in a given region, made a certain wage, that set the wage floor. So if you were, let's say, you know, like, let's talk about, um, I don't know, like weaving, right? If you're part of the weavers union and you're hiring people in at $20 an hour um, and like 30% of people in the textile industry in your area are union making $20 an hour, that means other textile plants under federal law have to hire in at $20 an hour hmm. um, because that is what's considered a fair wage or a reasonable wage. Um, that provision was uh, that 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 basically um, uh, provision of the NLRB was axed by Ronald Reagan uh, in the early 80s, um, which is why there's such a huge disparity between union and non-union pay uh, in right to work states now, uh, especially. Yeah. Um, so it's it's part of this. You know, there are ways the federal government, the federal government could 100 percent say, hey, all this subsidy money, you have to you have to be open to you. You at least have to be open to unions. They could be cool and say you have to be a union shop. You have to have an employee. You have to have a union to get these contracts. That would make mm-hmm. sense. That's something well within their purview. Um, but, you know, obviously, for, for the reason the prospect played out, there's like a political infeasibility um, in certain situations. But for the most part. I would argue it's Democrats unwilling to do the actual legwork and the fact that labor is so prostrate right now um, and has been for so long, there's no reason to. I mean, the UAW has, is one of the least militant unions in the country and basically sat on labor's chest for decades as soon as they got pole position. Like, the second they were like one of the most profitable unions, one of the most populous unions, they took that 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 advantage, that position, and mm-hmm. they immediately started working for the bosses. If you look at the way they treated uh, the revolutionary union movements in the 1970s uh, throughout Michigan, uh, and also like the the way they established Black Lake, the way they union busted um, the workers at their own headquarters, like the UAW are basically a union only in name at this point um, because of the way they fucking roll over at the merest sign of trouble. Um, obviously, recently, in the past few years, they did go on strike, but a lot of that stuff is is more performative than it ever has been. Uh, and, like, a lot of that stuff is not because leadership was agitating. It's because rank and file was agitating. Because rank and file are the people who are getting fucked over and, and are aging out, basically, because a lot of these companies are finding ways uh, to to disincentivize the union for new workers. Uh, like with Tesla and their union busting and the way they've been caught by the NLRB, uh, explicitly union busting, explicit, explicitly uh, violating labor law um, because they're an EV company and they think that that puts them outside the purview of the regulations and the rules of the automotive industry. Um, which is ridiculous, which it shouldn't. Uh, and you're yeah, s- I mean, the idea that they're distinct enough is is absurd. They're just they're the same thing with two different modes of propulsion. Exactly, and uh, you know, for instance, like they they, they they've tried to uh, some companies have tried to like classify people that work on EVs instead of being auto workers, they want to call them installers because they they're trying to say that the process of constructing the EV is so significantly different that they're they're a completely different classification they're not even an auto worker they're an installer 
Uh, and it's, it's, yeah, it's just really, it's bullshit. It's bullshit to pay people less. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the episode, basically. You know, we're, we're sitting at a, in, in a situation where we're seeing these companies and these industries move towards green energy. And at every step, what should be a win for labor, what should be a win for indigenous people, what should be a, a win for uh disenfranchised communities because it's it's creating these openings in industries that have been monopolized and gridlocked by this uh concentrated capital for so long but they're not because those same like bastions of capital are the people who are dictating the terms of these agreements and dictating the rollout of this new industry uh yeah and uh you know democrats are cool with doing it uh they're they're they've, they have no problem with it they have no problem uh you know cutting fucking labor's throat just like carter did back in the 70s uh just like uh reagan did uh in the 80s they have no issue with it just like fucking obama like time and time again we see democrats divest themselves from labor uh and only like make motions towards supporting labor when they feel like they're on the ropes uh and that's what this is this is not just like promesa the Chips and Science Act is not a lifeline. It is not uh, support. It's an insult. It's a slap in the face. It's uh, you know, hey, we're gonna bring industry back to your hometown, but not for you. We're gonna we're gonna send out all this. We we have all this federal money to send to corporations, but not for you. We have all this uh, all these resources to invest in a new uh, green energy initiative, but not one that is actually green. Not one that actually helps people. Not one that actually cares about carbon neutrality or union neutrality uh basically we're just furthering the exploitation they're they're doing it in such a way that these companies can continue to operate in the exact same way that they've been operating for ever uh and in in the case of uh, uh some of these manufacturers uh that are benefiting from the chips act or luma uh, even more even worse than what they've been doing lately because it's now in more unregulated territory Yeah, I mean, it, it really goes to show that uh, when these these pink washed resolutions and these 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 pink washed notions that uh, the the you know the central liberals in this country have as ideas of like real progress, um, colored as they have been, like Colin mentioned in the very beginning by the mainstream media. At, no, no, I'm not going to use that phrase. I'm not going to use that phrase. I'm not going to use the phrase. The mainstream use it. Media. Use it. No. You, you say no, lamestream no. media. What about lamestream? Because it's all mainstream media. All media is mainstream media. It's all the same goddamn thing. Not uh, uh, Alex Jones. Not Infowars. I, I would argue that Infowars is mainstream. I would media. argue that anything that no. is like independently funded. So if if you're like a journalist that has like only a Substack and a Patreon. Yeah, like, I mean, okay, so obviously there are things like you know Jake Hanrahan exists. Yeah, in popular or front, you know and, and Rose Warfare, Justin Rose, and. You know, it's, there there are individuals out there who are doing these things. But any media company that has more than, I don't know, 15 people on the payroll. <laughs> if it's more than three guys and a fucking camera. What about two cameras? <laughs> pushing it. You're pushing it. Oh, so we're right on the um, edge there. <laughs> yeah, yes. What if it's, what if it's uh, Owen Schroyer, Alex Jones... The uh, Owen Troyer, the Cuck Destroyer, uh, Paul Joseph Watson, PJW. PJ Dubs. That sounds like a circle jerk. 
PJW? It it certainly is. Yeah. All right. In any case, um, this has been oil update number two. Do we have a call to action? Uh, do you feel like we do? I mean, uh, drink as much gasoline as you possibly can. <laughs> um, oh, here's something. Uh, guess what, guys? Um, they're going to be hiring a lot of people. Uh, even even as much as this this situation with Rivian, where they brought in like outside workers, um, a lot of these companies are going to be hiring in the Midwest. Uh, people that aren't union and don't have a history of working in the automotive industry because they, they want to get people who don't know what their full rights are and what pay should be. So yeah. um, if you want to join these uh, group, uh, these companies and salt them uh, the way that uh, like your old school uh, socialist organizers and you did do that. If you have the ability to do, do it um, because even though these guys are desperately trying to union bust and desperately trying to, um, prevent any kind of organizing from happening. Uh, card check still fucking exists to an extent in, even in a right to work state like Michigan. Uh, and you can still get ballot. Uh, you can still get your, your, uh, secret votes. Um, you just got to fucking work really fucking hard. Um, so I know the DSA is actually as much as I don't want to support the DSA sometimes because of how, uh, cringy, Oh, they're so nerdy. It's not just that Bloated too. And annoying. It's it, it. They have highly ineffectual. The DSA, because obviously you can't talk about national DSA because the national committee is garbage. But like <clears throat> when you talk about like there are local DSA chapters that really do some really great meaningful work and really support workers. Uh, and so if you're lucky enough to be uh, a part of a DSA chapter uh, that does that kind of work, or to have one nearby that does that kind of work, um, get involved. They're, uh, they're a great resource when they are. And when they're not, I'm sorry. And when they're not, they're... It's mostly mostly the issues, I would say, with the DSA are not, like, fundamental flaws with the concept. Um, but more no, so... No, it's just, just government plans. Just what happened. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And, and they... And they, and they... <laughs> really love doing like cringy tiktok but that's shit. it's not even yeah. that it's for me it's it's the fact that when i say cringy i don't mean like you know get out to vote and stuff like that i mean like cringy in leftist terms like bickering forever about nothing and then a guy goes you don't understand what socialism is i do i'm gonna start a rival group and like five people peel away and then that group yep. languishes in obscurity until they die in a shootout with uspis like yeah, that. you know what you know what we call those types of people Colin? So worst in the industry leftist. that's what government, we call them government <laughs> podcasts plants. government plants all right uh thank you for listening to another episode of worst in the industry uh we will be back next week with another episode for you something a little different yeah we're gonna do not quite the same we're gonna have the cia podcast on for a guest spot yep can't wait Fucking well, Malangley actually, files. Yep, that's exactly. It's, uh, yep, it's, it's not. Mm, Cointel Pro never ended. Cointel Pro never ended. It's not gonna be next week, right? No, it's not gonna be next week because Tyler's on vacation. I'm gonna be gone. You cuss. Yeah, Tyler has to go back to Langley to report to his his paymasters. I'm just uh, no. I should. <laughs> yeah, Tyler's gonna go. <laughs> it's not like that. If with you watch Dave, Silence okay? of the Lambs in that training montage at Quantico, you can see Tyler in the background hurtling that fucking rope wall. Tyler's actually forty plus years old. He's been hiding. Oh, good. That's the one. Listen, that's the shot that listen. they put in the movie because they also caught him just beating off in the background a couple of times. Look at listen, the blood. Listen.
every year I have to go to Langley and I have to jerk off to J. Edgar Oh, you can throw cum in Clarice yeah, Starling's it's, eyes. It's, it's, it's your your oath of allegiance. Okay, before before we get into any more bullshit. Bye. 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 Say I'm in a spot they would kill for. I could put them in a wheel and they still won't. I could probably get a deal with Coke. If I wasn't rapping about the past back, dealing dope. Got the offer and it's real low. Over one mil and it's still low. They all corporate, they all cute in suits. Yeah, on bullshit with all that poop to scoop. My shit going up. I go root to roof. They don't like that. They want mute the truth. They gon' switch sides. They go group to group. They